about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. Today we're having our reading from Titus, which is a little book behind 2 Timothy and before Philemon and Hebrews. Uh, You can find it on page 966 or in the little leaflet that you got when you came in. And we're reading chapter 2 from verse 9. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything. Try to please them, not to talk back to them and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way, we will make the teaching about God our Saviour attractive. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These, then, are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. And these are the words of the Lord. Hello again. Great to keep that open in front of you. Good to be even to open the whole chapter if you have a Bible there. It'd probably be a good thing as well. I'll refer to some other parts. We are beginning a new series today considering what the Lord has for us in the midst of our work. Now, the graphic for the series probably doesn't look like anyone's work. Let's be quite frank. If anyone has that sort of set up, let me know later. But it's very far from the overnight shift in a hospital as a nurse or a midwife. It's, it's different from having your head over the carpentry saw as it's whirring, right? This is kind of, all of our work is different. And, you know, you might be studying full-time at the moment. You might be desperately trying to find work, and your work is the, the, the awful work of continually applying again and again to get work and not really getting anywhere. Or you might be retired and volunteering in lots of capacities, and that's your work. Whatever it is, we want to think, how do we do what we have been given in the Lord's name? How do we do it as something significant to him, as glorifying and honoring him in response to what he has done in the Lord Jesus? That's what we're going to think about together. We're going to come back to these verses in Titus every week. So I'm going to do a bit of it today and come back and do a bit more week by week and build on it, just so you know, and we'll refer to some other passages along the way. But today what I want to talk about is the time in which we work. Now there's many things we could say about the the era that we're in and how that defines the way we work. If you wind back the clock to 2019, which was a year seems like a decade back, Uh, what was on the rise was a thing called workism, coined by Derek Thompson in The Atlantic in 2019, the idea that many Americans in the West in particular were beginning to find their meaning and identity not in religious settings but in work settings. There was a spiritualization of work happening. This went along with chasing flow and the hustling, never stop hustling culture of Silicon Valley and all kinds of things. This rise of 
I am what I do. Along with this, over the last decade before, it was a rise in what I'd call the social conscience of big tech and big companies, who started to weigh in in things like Black Lives Matter and into diverse sexuality, stating their opinions on social issues of the day. And that's led to big companies being places that have an ethical vision that they want their, their, I was going to say their disciples to share, their workers to share. And so there's kind of ethical, spiritual things happening in workplaces. For many people in the midst of this economy, they just want enough work to, to live, to try and maybe make rent and save a little. Maybe in the pipe dream of years down the track, buying their own place if they can. But we don't live this side of the pandemic, do we? We live on the other side. And along with the pandemic, when everyone got locked in their rooms and forced to just work, we started to realize that work isn't who we are. And there was the great resignation as people felt that they wanted to leave their work behind. And now what we're in the midst of, apparently, is what people are calling quiet quitting. There's some lots of TikTok videos about this, apparently. Lots of people are saying, well, I don't want to go all in on my work. I'm going to pull back, do the minimum, be present, but fly under the radar. Quiet quitting. All of these things are happening in work at the moment, not one or the other. There's workism alongside quiet quitting. There's this need to survive and this struggle with the ideology of big companies. All these things are happening at the same time in the swirl of this age of work. But what I want to look at tonight is how there is a bigger defining factor we can look at from which to situate the time in which we work, and it is the Lord Jesus and his grace that has appeared and his glory that is coming. That we work between the appearances of Jesus Christ, and that is to define and drive how we understand what we do through the whole week. So we're going to look at Titus, and we're going to unpack that in four points. And the first one is this, and that is that the gracious, sorry, gracious work of Christ defines this time or this age. That is to say, it is not our work which is most important right now, but it is the work of Jesus, what he has done. That's where this passage starts. If you jump to verse 11, we'll come back and talk about the context in a second. Paul says, summarizing the life, the death, the ministry, the teaching, the miracles of Jesus in a few words, he says, how do you sum up Jesus really quickly? Here's his summary. For the grace of God has appeared. That's how you can sum up what Jesus is, what he did, what his work was. What his appearance meant. He came and grace appeared with him. I don't know if you know that tonight, but that is the center of everything in faith. That God gives us his unmerited favor and grace and kindness and mercy in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And what Paul says here is that that is to be the the defining work of all of our actions and all that we do. You see, verse 11 has a four in the front of it, which means it's explaining what's above it. 
and above it we read it was uh, uh, some instructions Titus is to give slaves and if you have your Bible open you can look above and you can see there's instructions to young men, old men, young women and older women. Everyone's included at every stage of life. It's a list of life hacks for every person, right? Not life hacks. Instructions on how to live in a godly manner. But all of them are to be driven, Paul says. All of them make sense only because grace has appeared in Jesus. We live, he says, says, between two appearings. Between the grace of God that has appeared, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Everything is about him He came, and we are waiting for him to come back. It is his grace that will be fully revealed finally in his glory that is the work that matters most right now. And everything we do is to be defined by what he has already done. In verse 14, you see a bit further how he describes it. For he gave himself. Beautiful words about Jesus. He gave himself. He offered himself over to death to redeem us from wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own. Or in Titus 3, oh, it's not on there. That's sad. Oh, here it is in a different point. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. See, right at the beginning, we're told here the limits of our work. Not the righteous things we have done save us. Not the great work that you do saves you. Your accumulation of a life of different work on products in all different waves cannot save you for eternity. It cannot cleanse you from your sins or make up for your failures, and it cannot save you from mediocrity, insignificance, or meaninglessness. The grace of God in Jesus alone does these things. It is his work that saves. It is his mercy and grace that saves, and nothing that we do. See, this is where we have to begin, recognizing that his work is ultimate and ours is not. And to let this define the time in which we work. It's kind of like this. Cass and I used to live in an apartment when we first got married that overlooked some water. And it was great. It was way above our station at the time. We had no money. And uh, you got to watch the sunset in a day. And there were these beautiful pink sunsets that kind of drifted across the sky. And then w- what happened, though, in that, that, that twilight, in that moment, is you got to see the colors streak across the clouds in the sky, then reflect across the water down the bottom, and then start to fill out all the windows of all the houses, and the trees begin to become luminescent. You know, in that moment, in that time... Everything takes on the colors of the sunset. Everything takes on the the colors of the twilight. It is to be the same for us. Living in the twilight between the grace and the glory of Jesus. It is to color everything. 
Banking cannot be the same between the grace and the glory of Jesus, nor can the running of wires and the installing of security equipment or the handing out of redundancies or the flipping of burgers or nannying. All of it is to take on the colors of grace and glory seen in Jesus. Grace has appeared. Jesus' work is definitive. That drives our work. But what, does, what does this mean? Well, the first thing it means for you tomorrow and whatever you're doing is that Jesus gave himself for those you work with and those you work for. Straight after when Paul says that God, Jesus offers the grace of God has appeared to us, he says that it offers salvation to all people. In the Greek, it's a really blunt phrase. The grace of God has appeared, saving all people. It's blunt and emphatic that what has happened in Jesus, this grace and mercy, this work of purification, is for everyone. Even people who carry the mail and people who fix tires and cars for that person at work who is just so annoying and that other one who never gets things done on time. It's for the cleaner who comes in at the end of the day and the woman who works in the the mailroom and for the outsourced help in India or Pakistan. Jesus came and his gracious work, his giving of himself was for them as it was for you. And everyone you see tomorrow, he gave himself for. Actually, Nick already talked about this point. He stole my thunder. Did you see what? He said it beautifully. He says, when he sees these things coming in, and when he sees the events he's writing about, he he sees that God loves them all, even the evil ones who end up in the news, and the good ones, befallen tragedies. God gave himself for them all in Jesus. Did you know that there are people in your workplace or in your university or at your school who no one has ever prayed for? No one has ever lifted up their name to our God, our Father in heaven, and asked help from him for, or asked that he would save them. But you could become their advocate for the first time. You for them are the presence of the Christ who gave himself. And they may not have anyone else. They may not know someone else who belongs to him, but they do know you. And maybe it is that the Lord Jesus has scattered you into your place of business for them. Because he loves them. The first thing this means is, please, 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 do not remain a secret, your faith a secret at work. Our secular age cannot take it. There are too many people who don't have a good line of sight to someone who knows Jesus, but they have you as a witness and as a carrier of this news. And I know that in some companies that is like terrifying 
and that it's going to get bombarded with questions about abuse in the church and women in the church and sexuality in the church, and you don't have answers to give. But friend, you don't need answers to those things. All you need is the knowledge that Jesus gave himself for them, and you need to treat them with the love that he has for them. So that if they want to see any of his grace and glory, you can tell them. Because he gave himself for them, for all people. And between grace and glory, you are an ambassador, an advocate for the people he has scattered you among. You know, this is a reason why you might want to take a job in a slightly different office in a different part of Asia for a little bit, maybe, if your company allows. To let God scatter you to a different place. That you might bear witness to those who haven't known anything. It might be the reason to think about going into full-time ministry and becoming a pastor. Because salvation is for all, and all need to hear it. But the question you might be asking is, well, doesn't that mean that my work doesn't have any meaning? Haven't you just emptied work of meaning? If, if, if Jesus and his work is ultimate and you're summoning me to witness and to be a, a presence in my workplace, then what's the point of teaching or building software? Or you know, haven't you just robbed all my meaning from me? But the logic of this part of Titus is exactly the opposite. What Titus says is that our work can adorn his work or make beautiful his work. Adorn is the, a different word for translating the word attractive in this next section. Uh, all, all through the, the, uh, in chapter 2, after Paul gives instructions for each kind of life hacks to each area of society, at the end of each section, he gives a reason why people should act that way. Here are the three reasons. So that no one will malign the word of God, in verse 5, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. And so that in verse 10, in the slave section, that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. That's what is translated adorn, but it's, underneath it, it's like the word beautiful, to make beautiful. What Paul's saying here is that that the conduct of Christians in their life matters to the gospel. Either it will malign the gospel, make it less palatable, or it will make it more attractive. And he doesn't give a middle option. Did you notice? Because our way of life in the world naturally attaches to the message of Jesus. We know this. You know, in the section where he's telling about how older men should be great and honorable people in society, have, do you know any men in the church who failed at that? Can think of a couple. The irreparable damage to the gospel done by that. Actions and the word together matter. But catch the positive one at the end. The work of slaves, slaves, could make the gospel beautiful. The work of slaves could adorn the message about God, our Savior, of the grace that has appeared. Our work can make the gospel compelling. It's kind of like this. 
There used to be a dumpling shop on King Street. It's where the, the drunk dumpling is there now, the drunk dumpling, but it's the one, the dumpling shop before that. And it didn't last, obviously. And the problem with this shop is it is up the stairs and above King Street. And so when you walk past, you see the menu, but you can't see if anyone's having fun or enjoying themselves, or you can't have a sneaky peek at the food to see if it's actually any good, etc. Uh, you can't get a, a, a feeling about it. And so their solution was to send one poor worker down to the bottom of the stairs every day with a platter of these fried eggplant things. And the idea was, if the people can't see, then you've got to take the food to the people. And so like every week on my way to this service for about a year, I got a fried eggplant thingy as like a pre-church snack. It's great. It's a good idea, isn't it? Because how do you get people to taste that something might be good? You've got to give them a sample, a sense of it. But do you know the thing that never happened in the whole year I was taking fried eggplant from people? Not one of them invited me up. Not one of them said, come up and have a meal. Just kind of counterproductive. You see, what Paul's saying is the two go together. Think about this. In our more secular age, where people are not sure whether Jesus is good news, and you say, Jesus is great news. He's full of grace and mercy. And like, is he? When you work well, it's like having a platter in your hand and saying, take and eat. Taste and see the Lord is good. The way we work and what we do in our work can give people tastes of the grace of God. Can help them sense that maybe there's something good in Jesus after all. After all the bad press I've heard. Maybe he's worth taking seriously. But the two have to go together. The sample and the summons. The word of the gospel and the work that makes the gospel beautiful. Hand in hand. You can't have one without the other according to Paul. And so the gospel doesn't empty your work of its meaning. It gives it a direction to make the gospel beautiful. To make it attractive. To work in a way that makes Jesus look good. But what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, we have these instructions to the slaves as kind of uh, a picture of that. Now, there's a lot I do not have time to talk to you about, about ancient slavery and Christians' relations to ancient slavery and to talk to you about the difference between ancient slavery and modern slavery. And modern slavery is always abhorrent in a way that ancient slavery was more complex, okay? I don't have time to talk about that. If you want to talk to me about it and you feel uncomfortable about this, I'm really happy to talk to you about it a bit later. But let's just look at what they what Paul says to say to the slaves, because basically, beautiful work, work that beautifies the gospel, is just done honestly and well. It's very simple. Look at what Paul says to say. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, which sounds really passive, but then it changes. To try to please them, and not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted. What's a slave to do? To please their master. All he's saying there is that when your master gives you something to do, go and do it. Don't talk back. 
Just go and do it, and do it in a way that they'll go, hey, that was really good. You've done really well. Thanks. Just please them. Just do the thing they ask well. I love this because this is exactly what we should be summoned to, to just do our work well. To give the work back to our supervisor saying, hey, I did what you told me to do. I think I've done it okay. What do you think? The great Dorothy Sayers in her essay, Why Work, talks about carpenters for a minute and the, and the gospel. And she, Dorothy Sayers suggests that the very first demand that his religion or Christianity makes upon a carpenter is that he should make good tables. Because no crooked table legs or ill-fitting drawers ever, I dare swear, came out of the carpenter shop at Nazareth. Jesus did not make dodgy tables. He would make good tables because he was good at stuff. The first thing we're summoned to, to beautify the gospel, is just to do our work well in a way that honors those above us in the, the task they've given us to do. But also we're told to not steal, to be honest, to not take lots of stationery from work and use all the ink in the printer, etc., to not maybe steal time from work. Paid time, that great commodity of all work. But to be fruitful with the time and the resources we've been given, to be honest with it. To show that we can be fully trusted, that when, when we're given a task and some resources to do the task, that we, our boss always knows that we're just going to go do it, and it will be done well, and they can trust us with the resources. I love how simple this is. Do your job honestly and well, and you will commend the gospel. Isn't that wonderful and simple? Isn't this something you could do tomorrow? But just to finish, I just wanted to maybe lift your head a little bit more. Because if our work can beautify the gospel, and that's the word underneath this word for attractive, it's the word cosmetics. Literally, your work can be the eyeliner for the gospel. The foundation, maybe. I don't know. I don't want to talk about makeup. But you know that sunset I talked about? My, it was one my grandfather knew really well. He lived right near where that sunset happened. And he was an architect by day, painter by night. And he would go down to the water as the sun was setting with his paints. And he would go about his business, painting these beautiful scenes. And he, he was adamant that there was this moment as the sun was setting that the water turn this shade of silver gray that he just found stunning. And he spent his whole life trying to paint this color and never felt he could. But the, the beauty of it just kept drawing him to it and he couldn't help himself. He just wanted to capture the beauty of this color in his paint. I, I wonder if that's how we're summoned to work in light of the gospel. To be so transfixed by the grace, the love, the mercy of what has appeared in Jesus that we're just drawn to sketch and to doodle it. To help it change the way that we run our meetings in the week with the same grace and mercy. To make awesome spreadsheets with the same order and glory that Jesus will bring into the world. That we can't help ourselves but long for more justice and hope and grace and goodness in the world and can't help but build it into the work we're making because our eyes are on the beautiful thing that God has done in Jesus. Always trying but never quite capturing it. But every time 
showing it in what we make and do day after day. Not just making the gospel appear beautiful through honest work, but building the beauty of the gospel into our work. Your work can adorn the gospel. You can do beautiful work in Jesus' name. Here's the thing I want you to do tomorrow to get started on this. First thing you do when you start your day, say a prayer and, and ask God to help you see everyone you talk to tomorrow as someone Jesus gave his life for. See how that changes your day. Then when you get to the end of your day, when you say a second prayer and say, God, thank you for getting me through that horrendous day that didn't really go right. I'm thankful that when the glory of Jesus comes, everything will be right. Start your day with grace and your day with glory. And fix your eyes on the beauty of what he has done and see what happens in your work. Let's pray. Father, we do ask you to make the grace of Jesus so real in our hearts tonight that as we walk into our weeks, that it would change the way we treat people and the way we see our work, that it would color our actions and our labors. For Jesus' sake, amen. listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.